When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Coming to you live from various places around the greater Toronto area, this is Jim Rats and Joints with Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Dan Gladman. Today, Jim Rats and Joints welcomes the legendary Onions Baby Onions, Chuck Swirsky. Jim Rats and Joints is brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. For producer Dan Wong and myself, Jeff Cole, let's get out the salami and cheese and rack it up, Danny G. When you talk about legendary broadcasters in North America, especially ones that have touched in both countries, Canada and the United States, um, someone that comes to mind for me is Chuck Swirsky. Uh, I worked with him as an associate producer on uh, the Raptors broadcasts, and he became a great friend, and he's been a, a best friend over uh, these many years. I am so happy that uh, the one-time voice of the Raptors and now the voice play-by-play on the radio of the Chicago Bulls Mr. Chuck Swirsky is joining us on the podcast, and Chuck, it is so awesome to have you and to see you today. Thanks for being here. Dan, always a pleasure. You know I love you, and I'm ready to roll, so let's do it. Okay, good. Well, we got a ton of questions for you. We got, of course, as always, Andy Routens out of Syracuse. You used to broadcast with his dad, Leo. Yep. Of course, we have Javon Shepard. Uh, the general manager of the Ottawa Blackjacks of the CEBL. But more and, importantly, go blue. Go blue. We got a lot of Michigan here today. <laughs> uh, another thing I want to point out is that uh, Chuck is a member of the Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame, uh, a huge honor in the city of Chicago. Onions, baby, onions. Well, you know what? It uh, those are so many great memories, and I enjoyed every moment, every moment as voice of the Raptors. I love coming to work. I love working with people like Leo and Jack Armstrong and the rest of the gang. And I love Toronto so much, and love Canada. Loved even working with you, Dan, and going into the truck with Jumping Johnny Russin. Ah, uh, you, you, you guys just, you know, uh, seriously, from my heart, I get really emotional about this. It was awesome. Well, I mean, that that says it all right there. I mean, we, we had a, it's always been a really tight, a tight group on the broadcast. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully there won't be too much uh, emotion here. A- Andy, you, you, uh, you grew up watching Chuck work with your dad. What, you know. 
What are some of, some of your memories of being a young guy with Chuck being around all the time? Yeah, I think, Chuck, I believe you came for the 98-99 season. Yeah. I think I was around 12 years old at that time. I remember seeing you before games, after games, during shoot-around. Always the most friendly of people. You know, obviously an icon in the in the commentating culture here and the broadcasting in Toronto. And, uh, you know, it's so, it's so good to see you again after all these years. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all happy to have you on here. But... I, nothing but the best memories with Chuck and, and, uh, and, uh, onions, baby onions, you know, that was, that was, that was my, my term for the, for the three ball. So I, yeah. I was that one very well. So, so I'm going to share a story with you guys. Every time the bulls would go into the garden in New York, you know, because the, the garden, they put the radio broadcasters way up on the eighth floor, the eighth floor, Here's the mecca of basketball, and they're putting us way up. So when we get off the elevator, the first thing, the first thing that hits you is this glass case. And there is Syracuse jersey number one, Andy Rotens. And it's about that historic overtime, 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 overtime. And Andy, you can ask your dad. I always take a picture of it. I've got it on my phone. I always take a picture and I send it to your dad. Yeah, that's right. He lets me know every time. That, that is a true story. We go in the garden, you know, like once or twice a year in the playoffs. Well, the Knicks haven't been in the playoffs. Kind of think about the Bulls haven't been in the playoffs. But we'll get there. Trust me. But anyway, every time we go in the garden, I send him that picture. And, uh, and then Andy, believe it or not, uh, Andy was in the Bulls uh, summer league camp. That's right. And, and like, they never passed him the ball. Yeah. The yeah. Pro- prolific three-point shooter. And, you know, he's doing all the right things, making the extra pass, playing D, getting back, good teammate. Guy comes off the floor, gives him a fist bump, the whole bit. When we could give fist bumps, we can't do that now. Uh, so, you know, everyone's doing their thing in the summer league, you know, like it's a one-on-four and they're driving into traffic, turning the ball over. Guys are cranking it up from 40 feet that their range is really four feet. And they're like, what are we doing here? Pass the ball to the guy. This guy was a star in Syracuse. Yeah. Who put it down the pipe. Yeah. It's whatever. A little bit unfortunate. I think that's the the culture of summer league, though. You know, everybody's trying to get to where they got to get to. But uh, good experience, though. I remember uh, having that very small fraction of time and, and spending it with Tibbs and kind of picking his brain. And it was unbelievable to work with him. It was a great organization. But, uh, yeah, a little bit of a lackluster summer league. Yeah. You want to hear my Tibbs impression? I'd love to. Yes. I ISO. I ISO. I ISO. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> that was the G-rated version. I love Tibbs. We had a great relation. You know, the one thing I loved about Tibbs, he was so passionate about basketball. Literally. He he loves the game so much. And like like he just and he he's he's a student, but he's also a teacher. And then he's like just so engulfed in like every element of the game, and I hope he does well with the Knicks. Chef, you want to go? I mean, I, I think I think it's just funny that we're here, and basketball comes around full circle because when you think of you know the early days of the Raptors and and AR for us guys that grew up and and had you know the, the Raptors as really impactful and really kickstarting 
you know, mm-hmm. the reality of playing professionally and, and having our own team here, really just seeing it and that these guys are not just myth- mythical characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chuck, you are you were the voice. Like that's that's the voice that we all grew up to. And I and I think it's just you know, one, we, we have to applaud you for that. Thank you for that. Just Absolutely. being that person and just who you've been later on as well. I know there's a couple of times um, I reached out to you and just, just to pick your brain on, you know, the broadcasting industry and so forth. And that, that uh, you know, just even having that impact tremendous has been tremendous for, for our generation as well. Because not only were you a voice while we were growing up, but still the voice for us, you know, post our playing career. So I think maybe maybe it's a little biased because we have that that go blue that michigan blood in us but uh yeah. definitely <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> no I'll, I'll tell you what, what's what's really um to me it touches my heart because you know when i see tristan thompson and Corey joseph and kelly olenic and these kids that were just kids literally like andy's age or even younger and my younger, son yeah. we we lived in burlington and my son was in this travel league that played against Tristan and Corey and Kelly. And, you know, so now when I see them, they always say, ah, salami and cheese. I mean, to this day, I'll see Corey, I'll see Tristan, uh, Jamal Murray, I'll see him. And it's like, you know, wow, you know. See, we were fortunate, and Andy, your dad would be the first to admit this. When Vince Carter came on the scene, it was like the whole franchise changed. And not to say that we, you know, had Vince not been drafted by the Raptors, the franchise would not have elevated itself because I do believe that McGrady was very, very capable, as we now know, of doing that at the time we didn't because he really didn't play much his rookie year. But, I mean, when Vince came on, I mean, this guy was just getting after players every night. And we were seeing, Dan, as you know, we were seeing – 360s. We were seeing windmills. We were seeing rockabye baby dunks. We were, I mean, it was, and it wasn't once a game. We were seeing these acrobatic plays above the rim two, three, four times a night. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, what do we have here? And it was a 50 game season, as you know. And the, listen, the Raptors were knocking on the playoff door up until the last two weeks when I think. Because we were a very young team. We did have Christie and D. Brown, Kevin Willis, Charles Oakley, but we had a lot of young kids. And I think they woke up one morning and said, Wow, we're in the we're in the playoff. <laughs> and then I think it reality set in and said, Yikes. But then the next year, uh, the Raptors made the playoffs, got swept, McGrady leaves, and you know, the following year though, it was that dramatic playoff series with Philly. But I can I can recall Almost, well, I can recall all of my 10 years there, year by year by year. Well, a, a lot of those dunks that we saw from Vince were uh, sick, wicked, and nasty, as a, as a wise man used to call them. And, you know, in those days, the, the Toronto Raptors really were about Vince Carter. There wasn't a lot of other reason for the audience in Toronto and in Canada to watch. And he certainly gave them the reason to do that. But Chuck, you were you were the voice that that brought it home to that generation, and I think that um, I, I think the the credit goes to you for illustrating what was happening. To to at a time was a you know a, a very young, almost immature audience. You know, basketball was brand new, and it 
it really was Vince Carter that gave them something to cheer for. But I think it's it's pretty consensus uh, that it was your voice that was bringing it home. And I, I think you and you and Leo were really the original stars of, of Raptors broadcasting. And, you know, I remember being out in, in public with you and, and people were coming up to you. Everybody wanted to shake your hand. Everybody wanted to have a beer with you. You know, when you left, that would change and everybody wanted to have a beer with Jack. Um, but that, Which he never turned down. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that's really how it is. You know, Which I, is I, fine. <laughs> and it's fine. No, no, no one's complaining about wanting no to have a No one's complaining. You know, I, I wanted to talk um, about the Bulls this season, and we'll get to it later, but I think we're, we're already on, uh, you know, the, the Toronto scene here. And, you know, just, just to kind of exemplify the point, you know, we're, we're a video podcast today for the first time, and people who are listening won't be able to see, but I, this is how important Chuck was. There, he had a bobblehead, and if Ooh. you're watching on, on video, you, you can see it. It's like the guy had his own bobblehead. He wasn't even a player. Like, there it is. Yeah. So, unfortunately, the audio doesn't work. There's a button. That's when you know you made it. Well, actually, yeah, you know what? It. The Raptors gave me two bobblehead nights. Yep. But this one, this one would, you'd hit the button and go, get out the salami and cheese, mama. This ball game is over. I'll, ne- I'll never forget that for as long as I live. And I think a lot of these young basketball fans feel that. Chuck, if, can you boil it down? Is there one moment? Is there one moment in your tenure as the Raptors uh, – play-by-play in the voice of the Raptors that is really maybe your favorite? Wow. Well, uh, on a personal note, I became a Canadian citizen because I thought I was going to be in Toronto forever and be the voice until I was dead. Um, Things didn't work out that way, but uh, we had a Chuck the Canuck night, (laughs) and we actually sold out, which was very kind, of the Raptors. They put together a promotion um, and we had a, and there's a picture that I've got actually in a room adjacent to where we're doing this. And it's a picture of myself and Leo is holding up Canadian flag on top of my head. Like the flag was on a mountaintop, as you can see, follically challenged. But um, <laughs> any, anyway, so whoops. Sponsor Bank of America. With Bank of America on the phone. Uh, uh, money never sleeps, Chuck. <laughs> the essentials have never Alexa, stop. Thank you. <laughs> Podcasting in 2020. Podcasting in 2020. Anyway, so the Chuck the Canuck on a personal note, professionally, um, there are so many great moments. I mean, my gosh. I, I would have to say probably the playoff series with Philadelphia with Iverson and Carter. I mean, you talk about two players. Vince really wasn't even in his prime yet. But that series had so many underlying story elements with Vince graduating in North Carolina in the morning, flying to you know, Philadelphia in the afternoon. It's a six o'clock starting time. I mean, you know, he takes the last shot, it rims out. And I mean, there was so much drama regarding should he go, should he not go? Um, and it I mean, it was unbelievable. And then, you know, to have it come down to the last shot. Um, so it was it was quite the series. Uh, what was your what was your relationship with Vince like personally? Um, 
I know that I got the chance to shoot around with him a couple of times. It's always nothing but a great guy. Yeah. Um, but obviously his his uh, his superstardom, I think, preceded him as an individual. And, and I was curious about how your personal relationship with him as well. Wow. Well, I think there are some different chapters. I'm going to be very transparent about this. Vince, I mean, we got along great. Um, you know, how he left town. You know, we, we really have to live in the moment. We can't live in 2020 now. We're going to live in the moment what transpired because I think he was frustrated. I get it. He was really, really, I think, mentally exhausted of going through coaches and the front office changes and the revolving door and he wanted out. And um, I think that for whatever reason, people have to understand the market wasn't that great for Vince at that period of time. I think a lot of people were concerned about his injury situation that started to kind of mount. Um, and so they were kind of like, you know, Rob Babcock, Wayne Embry, they were working on things. And I think uh, I can remember one night, rest his soul, but Rob Babcock, um, we were out to dinner in Los Angeles. And Rob Babcock, got a call from an NBA team and he you know he excused himself came back to the table about 15 minutes later and said you know I, I I'm trying to make a deal and you know people are trying to fleece me now as it turns out the best deal he could make was the Nets deal and we know what happened there but so he left and I think a lot of people that were so tightly connected with the Raptors were hurt because he forced a trade. Then, of course, at the 11th hour, he didn't want the trade. And according to stories, he went to Sam Mitchell and said, don't trade me. I'll work things out. I want to be here. And by that time, it was too late because Rob had given his verbal commitment to Rod Thorne of the Nets. And one thing about Rob Babcock, you can probably question some of the moves he made as GM of the Raptors. But he was a really good, solid, decent human being. And his word meant everything. So as, as Vince started going, you know, different teams, you know, we would run into each other, be friendly. But I don't think that, you know, we were, we'll never be as close as we once were. And right now it's just a professional acquaintance. And I get it. It's, it's the nature of the business. I wish Vince well. I think he's going to be a spectacular analyst. He's going into the Hall of Fame. And I'm just fortunate that I called every one of his games as a member of the Raptors. I wish things had worked out differently um, uh, for him in Toronto. But, you know, when it's all said and done, if someone looked back and said, you played 22 years in the NBA, honestly, if someone told me he was going to play 22 years or even 15 years, I would have said, wow, because he had some serious knee issues that he overcame to his credit uh, by his work ethic and perseverance. So I wish him nothing but the best. You know, Chuck, well, that, you know, I can appreciate that the transparency there. Uh, on a lighter note, you know, during your time with the Raptors, who, you, who were some of your favorite um, players to work with uh, over that over that time period and why? Okay, well, we, um, well, number one, the, to, for my first year in the NBA, 
Um, you know, I, I had done 18 years of college with DePaul and did with Mark Aguirre and Terry Cummings and Rod Strickland and Kevin Edwards and Dallas Comedies, Stanley Brundy. I mean, DePaul was stacked. I mean, we had... So then I go to Michigan at the tail end of the Fab Five. Now you're talking. And, and I mean, now we're talking about, you know, we're talking Chris Webber. I mean, he was the first to leave. And then Jalen and Jawan left after their junior years. Uh, Chris left after his sophomore year. Um, you know, there was the the Duke, North Carolina, back-to-back NCAA championship games. You know, the Elite Eight with Jawan and Jalen, they lost to uh, Arkansas. And then the, the last year, people, Jimmy King is a former Raptor. He had a cup of coffee, but and Ray Jackson never played in the league. But, you know, Steve Fisher recruited, along with Scott Perry, who's now the, the GM of the Knicks, he was an assistant coach with the Wolverines. They recruited the second, quote, unquote, there will never, never be another Fab Five, but their second recruiting class, that wave that gained, I mean, they had some talent. I mean, they brought in Gerard Ward, who was the number one high school player in the country out of Mississippi. In fact, he played for the Raptors in uh, training camp in preseason. Um, and we had Macy Obaston, another former Raptor player. Maurice Taylor, you know, who played in the NBA with the Clippers in Houston, a kid out of um, Henry Ford High School in Detroit. Robert Trailer came in the next year. And I love Robert, one of my all-time favorite human beings. He had, you know, a heart of gold. And, uh, I mean, to this day, I still can't believe he's not with us. He was a wonderful, wonderful man, period. So I go to the Raptors, and again, McGrady's in his second year, Carter's in. But we had a guy by the name of Alvin Williams. And Alvin Williams, if you know, I mean... If you look at him and you say to yourself, is he a one or is it two? Butch Carter actually asked me that um, about maybe, I would say, 15 games into the lockout year. He goes, what do you think he is? Is he a one or a two? I said, I'll tell you what, coach, he's a basketball player. And this guy would sacrifice his body. Some of the bones are somewhere in Scotia Bank on the floor with the Raptors. You know, with the claw. Oh, there's Alvin's, you know, right? Fibula. Um, but I love the guy because he didn't, honestly, I never saw Alvin Williams pick up a stat sheet. In all the years I did the Raptors, I not once saw him on a team bus with a stat sheet, not in the locker room at all. He didn't care. He did not care. He was not phony. He was just authentic, and he was Alvin Williams. Uh, you know, I mean, we could go right down the list. Mo Pete, I mean, all these guys are awesome. But as far as the heart and the hustle of a player, Alvin Williams, and I actually told Brian Colangelo this when I was leaving to go to Chicago. I said, Brian, you know what? Uh, I said, I'm not saying that, you know, Alvin Williams should have his jersey retired, but if you did, I could live with that. But I think you should make an award and give it to the Raptor at the end of the year who demonstrates the heart and the hustle and the selflessness of what it is and what it means to be a Raptor. You're trying to create a different culture here. And there had to be a different culture with the Raptors when Colangelo came in, which he did. Um, but I think if anyone deserved that, it was Alvin.
Well, Alvin also, until 2016, had hit the biggest shot in Raptors history when he makes that shot against the Knicks. Yeah. Calling it Chuck, game five of the uh, the first round series. Um, I, I, I could listen to you talk basketball all day. I mean, you have... The knowledge, the pedigree—it it, it really is amazing. And the, the truth is, as you're talking about it, you're answering many of the questions that we we had prepared for you. You know, I, I love you. I love hearing you talk about Michigan. I'm sure you noticed Javon Shepard when he was a player there. Absolutely. What, what do you think about this guy being a general? He's a general manager. He's got his own professional team now. What do you well, think of that? You you know, here's the thing. Andy and Javon, they have something that mere mortals like us don't. They played, and they played at a very high level. Okay, Michigan and Syracuse. By the way, I have a great Michigan-Syracuse tie-in, and then we'll talk about Javon. Perfect. So I'm doing the Wolverines, and we're in the San Juan shootout. And it was a tournament near Christmas time. And... Michigan, they wanted two major schools in the championship game. Yeah, it's on national TV, you know. And so they kind of stacked the seeds a little bit. But but Syracuse struggled. They were trying to find themselves. It was a young team, but they had a really good player, a stud by the name of Eton Thomas. And you probably remember him. He was the yes. Syracuse team, for sure. Yeah, and he played, you know, for the Wizards. He played in the NBA. The guy was a stud, and he's a wonderful guy, great guy, very, very intelligent, writes poetry, the whole bit. And so we caught Syracuse at the right time and blew him out. Trailer was incredible. So every time the Raptors played an Eton Thomas team, I would always go up to him. <laughs> and we had a chuckle after a while. In fact, I just exchanged a, a tweet with him. Um, but uh, so one thing about Javon, I mean, like, you know, you look at Michigan basketball, we had Steve Fisher, and then, you know, we they started investigating the program because what happened is that Maurice Taylor was driving and they were recruiting Mateen Cleaves who was a fabulous, unbelievable high school player. But the thing is that he, Mateen Cleaves would not be denied in terms of being a competitor. This guy got after it. I mean, he, he was fierce. And Michigan said, we got to get a point guard. We've got to get a point guard. And so they were recruiting him, and they went out. And where they went, I'm not sure. There's a 40-mile radius that you, you know, can't leave. You know, the campus, but they went out and they were on the recruiting visit and there was a rollover accident and um, Robert Trailer broke his arm. Maurice was driving and um, they were recruiting Mateen Cleves. And so there was an investigation and Mateen ends up going to Michigan State, leads the Spartans to the NCAA title game, wins it in a championship game against Florida. And so when, you know, Steve Fisher exits, Brian Ellerby comes in and has success with the recruits of Coach Fisher. But nonetheless, you know, he did a good job and he stayed. And then Tommy Amaker comes in. And, and so 
you know, now we got Juwan Howard, who I love. I love him as a man. I love him as a coach. And they just had a huge recruiting class coming in for next year. So I think one thing that Javon and Andy both have, and Javon's now calling the shots, is, you know, sometimes it's good to take a deep breath and exhale because we get caught up in the moment. And I'll never forget John Wooden. Do you remember the stand? John Wooden spoke to us in L.A. Were Absolutely. you there? I was. Yeah. Okay. And uh, John Wooden spoke to us. Rob Babcock and Pete Babcock had a relationship with John Wooden. I will never forget this. And and both of Rob was kind enough to invite us to a conference room. And um, and I mean, some of the you know he he was able to autograph books for us. Some of our players don't even know who John Wooden was, and it really bothered me because there were a couple guys that were on their phones while he was talking, and it just you know that that really bothered me when I saw that in the room. I mean, John Wooden is a legend. I don't care if you don't know what he did. Listen to what he says. And he always said, you know, about, you know, um, uh, be, um, um, be quick, but don't run. And don't hurry. Don't hurry. That's right. Thank you. And so, you know, by what he meant is, you know, sometimes it's good just to kind of take a deep breath, analyze your talent, and um, and you know there there was there's like one guy in the NBA who would get so I won't mention his name he's not connected with Raptors uh, but he was a former college coach and former NBA coach and he would be so impatient with players like he want to trade them after like three games <laughs> you know everyone's like, pump the brakes here okay like just t- you know. Let's see what we got here. And then, you know, you can go to the front office. You know, don't pick up the phone and start making calls here to say, I got to get rid of them. Would you be willing to do? No, 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 no. So my advice is enjoy the moment. Enjoy that you've been blessed with this opportunity. And just because you played, like life is not a straight line. There are bumps in the road here. And you you had success. You had, you know, some challenges like all players do. You're not going to make the game-winning shot all the time. And Andy had a brilliant career, as you did, Javon. And guess what? Sometimes those shots go in, and sometimes those shots don't. And you feel horrible when they don't. You feel great. But guess what? Uh, when After you hit that game-winning shot, you still have to get in the car and go home. And it's yesterday's news 24 hours later. And you know what? It is what it is. That's a great point, Chuck. Uh, and we kind of, we're kind of curious. Maybe we can bring it back to where you are right now. And currently, at this point in your life, you're back in Chicago. Uh, Chicago just made some major moves. Uh, you know, starting with the, the the front office, and then obviously they're they're clearing out some room for the young guys to to add on to them. What are you most excited about for the Chicago Bulls this year? Well, I'm excited that um, uh, the front office. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We, we brought in uh, a player who played actually at Seton Hall from Lithuania. He actually was the first Russian player allowed to play college basketball in the States. His name's Arturis Kardishevis, and he played on the Lithuanian national team that played the uh, Dream Team, and then they actually played the Bulls in that McDonald's Classic. Remember, it, like they, they would bring in international teams and the NBA winner uh, in the mid-'90s. And so he played against the Bulls. He played against the Dream Team, and he caught a break uh, by getting a job at the NBA office, which led to Houston, which led to Denver. And now he's running the show here in Chicago. Mark Eversley, a former head of Nike Canada, you know, Brian Colangelo's, you know, right-hand person. He's a great um, guy. Great, guy. great guy. Yeah, he can work the room. He knows where everybody, you know, I mean, his his phone blows up, man. <laughs> it's And then he left for Washington and Philadelphia. He's our GM here. And so they hired Billy Donovan. And I'm going to tell you what, yesterday, because we're in this virtual thing, Billy Donovan addressed the media. And you talk about a coach who has a sense of coaching. I mean, he understands the psyche of a player and what it takes and how to reach a player. And whether it was Tommy Amaker trying to reach Javon, uh, whether it was Jim Beheim trying to reach Andy, well, guess what? There were two or three or four or five or ten ways of reaching each player on that club. And that's why when a coach says, I treat my players all the same. No, you don't. You're going to treat your superstar a lot different than the 15th guy on the roster. That's the way it is. You know what? you got to put your big boy pants on and understand that not to say the 15th guy on the roster isn't important because he is. And remember a guy by the name of Kevin O'Neill? <laughs> so, Kevin. We're, How could I forget? Yes. So, KO. You know, it was, I knew KO, like, when he was head coach at Marquette in Northwestern in Tennessee, because when I was doing college ball, you know, it's a small world, and our paths would cross. So Kevin is the coach of the Raptors. And one day we're talking, and he goes, uh, Chuck, you know, I got I to got, I find a good 11th, 12th, maybe even 10th guy on the team who knows they're not going to play because I'm not going to play him. But they got to be really good guys, good character guys, and you know, take take practice seriously. But you know, they're going to get in every like month. <laughs> and so I said, Kevin, why? He goes because I don't want my bench or my team poisoned with guys who think they're great, great players when they're not. There's a reason why they're number 10, 11, and twelve. You know, they're going to earn a good paycheck. They're going to get a pension. They're going to hang out, you know, they're five-star hotels, but they are not going to be in the top nine rotation. But I want them to show up, be good people, bust their tails, practice hard, and make these guys work at practice. But that's why I'm always concerned about who my 10th, 11th, 12th guys on the team are, because they can do some really bad things damage-wise if they start playing an ego game with the other guys. I'll never forget that. Yeah, that's a great point, Chuck. I think that uh, 
we have that t- we have that conversation quite frequently on the show in terms of how the game has changed with, you know with, between coaches and players and you have to be more conscious of each player and, and how you can relate to them as opposed to kind of being a dictator and I think that's where they're finding success now and, and Billy Donovan is a great example of that you know coming from Florida you know kind of nurturing college students then making that transition to the league and being in a place like Oklahoma City where it's more of like a college environment and you know it, it's a very you know, intuitive organization, you know, with their players. And, and I think that he's going to bring that to Chicago and, and they're going to benefit from that greatly. Absolutely. I mean, and, you, know, you know what, Javon, this is, this is now with the players and their intelligence and their ability to communicate. I mean, like in my generation, a player would never go to, I mean, the only time a player ever spoke to a coach is when the coach went to a player. A player would never go to the coach because they're afraid like, wow, if I cross that line, I may get benched or if I have a disagreement or, you know, like, gee, what happens? So this is really a partnership. That doesn't mean it's an ownership, but it should be a partnership. And I think to add to what you guys are saying, Billy D, like I'm, I'm, I'm high on Billy D for this this role here because, one, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm high on guys that have won before. When you look at Billy D, the, those two back-to-back championships in Florida speaks press, says, you know, speaks volumes there with the talent that he had. And then, you know, you, you move forward. And the fact that he's been mentored by Rick Pitino, you know, he's used to having talent. He's used to coaching guys of this caliber. And then, you know, 2015, when he steps into that role with OKC, which is essentially it was his first real yes. um, NBA job just to have that talent level of Ibaka, KD, Russ, and bring that team to the conference final that first year, that speaks volumes because it's not an easy transition between college, going from college to the NBA. You have to be a, a very big communicator and relatable in a sense, especially having guys with that talent level. And I, I think, you know, if you're looking at, if you, to use somebody as an example, my former coach, John Beeline, that was a tough transition yeah. um, for him going from Michigan, coaching the college game to to the Cavaliers. Obviously, it was short-lived, but, you know, that, that goes to speak on how well of a communicator, how relatable Billy D is just with, one, his success, the mentorship he's had, and then, you know, what he's done in the NBA thus far. You know even, and even if you're measuring I, this, I, this, I get it. I, listen, Billy Donovan, you know, I mean, he brought in some major, like Michigan, including some major talent to Gainesville. Uh, you know, I, I, honestly, I love John Beeline. I was hoping that would work. I thought it would work. I, I, I was really hoping that the players would understand, okay, this guy has... No, like in college basketball, these coaches have huge egos, you know, it's because basically it's a coach's game because they're they're You know, do you ever see a player's face on promos? No, it's always the coach, you know, whether it's definitely more like Europe in that regard. Yeah, exactly. King. Yeah. Yeah. And so but I really wanted John Beeline to make it. And when he took that job, he could have had the Pistons job, I think. Uh, but, you know, he was going through some physical situations, you know. Um, but I remember I saw John at the lottery um, two years ago. And, um, you know, I, I spoke to him and our paths had crossed a few times. I was really, really hoping that things would have worked out because I think he's a great coach. But you know what? When a player decides I'm tuning you out, you're, you're done. You're, you're at the pro level. You're done. 
You know, Chuck, one thing uh, we wanted to do when, when Shep and Andy and our producer Dan Wong and I um, put this podcast together, you know, we want to make sure that we were having guests like yourself, friends of ours, people involved in the basketball world. Another thing we wanted to do was have a sponsor. And we have a beer sponsor. They're the Henderson Brewery. Uh, the best beer is the beer you love. A uh, big shout out to uh, our friend Aiden Wiener and the Henderson Brewery. Another thing I like to do here, Chuck, is something I call this date in Toronto Raptors history. I even have a little hashtag for it. It's hashtag T-D-I-T-R-H. And we're going to get into it. And I think you're going to remember this one. I'm, you know, it's, it's the second day, but I'm going to go back to December 1st, 2001, 19 years ago now, wow. which is unbelievable. And you'll probably remember the game. It was in Atlanta. I, I think it was a, a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. And Hakeem Olajuwon hits a game-winning shot. The Raptors win it 104-103. I can hear your voice screaming, the Raptor, Raptors win, Raptors win. Olajuwon hits a shot. You know, that it put the Raptors at 5-2, uh, at and two, and it really looked like that season was going to be something, something really special. Unfortunately, the, it didn't work out that way, and they lost to Detroit in the, in the first round of the playoffs. But that, that's... Uh, that's today's date in Toronto Raptors history. Chuck, I want to ask you, you know, you've been in broadcasting for, I think, 40 years. And you're a Hall of Famer in Chicago. Um, you are remembered fondly for your work in Toronto. You did so much here on the airwaves for the team, um, for the Fan 590 with, with your daily show. I, I can't even imagine you doing anything other than broadcasting sports, which is why I want to ask you, what would you have done in life if, you know, maybe the ball rolled a different way and you weren't a broadcaster? What would you have done? Wow. I'll tell you what I would have done. Um, and it's all because of my mom. I grew up in a single parent home. My father died when I was a kid. And my mom actually is, and my grandmother, who's from Sicily, and my grandparents, they came over on a boat from Italy to New York, as all immigrants did uh, back in the 1800s, you know, to seek a, a new life and a fresh start. But my mom actually was a parochial school teacher at St. Louis. She taught third grade. And then she took a job on Monday nights and Wednesday nights at the hospital uh, gift shop and she would work you know in the gift store and then on Friday Saturday and Sunday she was an actor at the local theater company in Bellevue Washington which is on the east side of Seattle and that's where I grew up and so I saw her hard work and I knew I wanted to be a broadcaster since I was like five years old I broke my mom's broomstick and Tried to hang it up from a light bulb switch to act like a microphone and do play-by-play, -play, you know, off a of TV. But had I not gone into broadcasting, I would have, I, my minor was sociology. I, I was going to be a social worker. And because I think that one of the things we owe in sports is to give back. And you can give back. You know, when people say, well, what does that mean, give back? Give back could mean that, Javon, you pull a player aside 
and you ask them about them, not about, hey, I want to talk about pick and rolls. You know, what's going on at home? You good? What can we do for you? You know, and maybe a player will open up. Maybe they won't. You know, I mean, you know, Andy, the whole thing about having a connection with players and coaches and people around you is we are human beings. You know, we we have joys, we have challenges, we have struggles, we are passionate, we have dark moments. All those things come into play. We're not robots. And so I I I really found that the the best way of giving back to someone is finding about finding details in their life that you can touch their lives by truly caring. I don't think we encourage one another enough in life. I don't think we appreciate people enough in life. I think that we take for granted a lot of things in life and we really don't take the time to really care. We had a player with the Bulls. He is just announced his retirement or close to it, Joakim Noah. Joakim is one of my all-time all-time favorite people. I really don't care about Defense Player of the Year, NCAA titles, the whole bit. I'm talking about as a person, when he said, Chuck, how are you doing? I know he meant, how am I doing? Not like, hey, good, Joe, boom, and, and leave. We would have some great talks about a lot of different things. And he was an amazing communicator. And the reason why people want to flock and gravitate to Joe is because he was so real and what you see is what you got. And I love Joe very, very, very much. And so I was going to be a social worker. Andy, didn't, so, didn't so, Andy play with Joe Kim in uh, New York? I didn't, no. Uh, he, he came in after. Yeah, I was with uh, another uh, character, uh, Roni Turioff, one of my one of my also all time favorite people. Really great guy. Yeah, got a lot of stories off the floor with that guy, but really good guy. Chuck, I had a question for you. Since we're giving back, right? I always I always like to pick Leo's brain. I pick Paulie's brain, and then Sherm's brain a lot. Um, and obviously, you've been a cornerstone in the broadcasting business. What tips or what what? What are some? What would be one of the biggest tips that you would that you would give to somebody you know heading into the business and um, as far as approaching your craft and and delivering? Well, the first thing I always tell young people: be you. Don't be mm -hmm. anyone else. Be you. We're all wired differently. When someone says, "Hey," um, What's the proper journey to get to become an NBA? There is no proper journey. There is no right journey. The only journey is that you are unique. And so everyone has a different skill set. Everyone has a, you know, a different portfolio of what's inside their heart. We were all raised differently, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different demographics that have come into our world, different platforms that we were exposed to as children that have formed our brain and you know some of those things um, are very very healthy some of these things we had to work on to get us on the right track as we mature but all I can tell you is in anything in life the important thing is how badly do you want it and if if you're gonna if you're gonna quit 
then you might as well pull the tent now and go home because it's, listen, it's hard. Life can be tough. Life is beautiful, but it's going to be tough. You're going to have to listen to people and understand that your answer may not be the right answer and that you should take a no as a yes. And by that, I mean, when you hear no, well, okay, so how do I get back to where I want to be? What can I do to be better? And uh, you've been criticized. You've been criticized at the highest level of college basketball. Coaches don't like something you did. Coaches want change. Okay, I get that. So now I've got to come. I've got to come around to the, my coach's thinking. And if that doesn't materialize, I'm going to sit down with my coach and find out. Okay, why is this not working on pick and roll? Why am I not getting a screener to come over? Why am I not getting, you know, the results that I should have? Is it my mechanics? Is it, you know, that I'm just not comfortable? Why am I not comfortable? All these things. So our journey to a destination that is still out there for me, because I haven't accomplished, when I wake up in the morning, I've accomplished nothing. All those accolades of being in different halls of fame and the NBA and this and that really doesn't matter because today's a new day. That stuff is something that, you know, is in the past. So what I would suggest to young people, continue to work at your craft and have a great attitude, but find something you're passionate about, whether it's coaching, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's being a great producer in a tech, whether it's, you know, selling insurance, whether it's doing something that you want to do and then go for it and never go through the motions. Because the day you start going through the motions, you're done. The moment you're satisfied, you're done. Just boom, out. I don't want to be around people like that. I want people to show up with a great attitude to say, hey, new day, let's get after it. No, really well put, Chuck. Uh, I think that I'm kind of curious. I'm sure our, our listeners are curious as well. If, if you had any kind of personal setbacks in your career that kind of set you in, into a, a different direction or, or really kind of motivated you uh, to get to the position that you're in now that, that are most notable in your memory. Yeah, absolutely, Andy. You know, uh, when I was doing my internship at NBC in Cleveland, I, I remember I would look around and there are some like major, big time, big star reporters. So the news director, I remember I walked in with a cassette. You too young to remember what a cassette looked like. It was that. Don't do that. Don't do that, Not a The play button and hey. So I walked in with a cassette and I said, uh, could you listen to my work? I'm 20 years old. Can you listen to my work and just tell me what you think? Now, when you ask that question, you have to be prepared that, you know, you may not get the answer you want, you know, because when I get people sending me audio and video links saying, can you break down my my work? I'm going to say, okay, if you want me to break it down, you have to be vulnerable here. Okay, this is this is big time now. This is the way life works. Life isn't, oh, you're so great. You're this. No, 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 no. You know, it's like when you would go into a coach saying, coach, hey, you know what? Break it down. Let's let's do it because you want to get better. Well, this guy tore me up. You know, we don't like your voice. This, this, this. Why don't you go in another line of work? And like, wow, that's tough. Yeah. Woo. Wow. And, I, and I'm and i not going to lie to you. 
I remember that conversation was just before lunch. And I found a closet at the NBC building in Cleveland, Ohio, and I wept. And um, I mean, I was a basket case. And I remember my grandparents, I was staying with them uh, just outside of Cleveland. There was a, a school. They, they had a little house ne- next to a place called John Carroll University. It's on the, uh, like the east side of Cleveland. And I, would, I went back and here my two beautiful grandparents, you know, spoke, you know, English, broken English, but, you know, really a, very much Italian. Um, and, um, and so my grandmother said, I'm going to give you until tomorrow morning. And you can have, you know, this get out of your system. But tomorrow morning, you're going to go into work. You're not going to hold any grudges. You're going into work and you're going to prove them wrong. And I will never forget that conversation. And so that was a big turning point. I love that. Big yeah. turning point in my life. You, you remind me, Chuck, of uh, another Italian guy I saw in a 30 for 30. It's Jim Valvano and that NC State team that won the championship. And I remember him saying, when we lose a game, we mourn for one day and then it's gone. It's yep. over and it's all about refocusing on uh, on what's coming next. You know, Chuck, uh, much like um, somebody you used to work with with the Chicago Cubs, Harry Carey, <laughs> you are an innings eater. I mean, we have gone 51 minutes already, and we haven't even got to the upcoming NBA season, which suddenly is, is under three weeks away. And I, I wouldn't feel right to, to take so much of your time today and not get a uh, an appraisal from you about your team, the Chicago Bulls, that you'll be broadcasting, you know, all their 72 games. Um, a lot of intriguing young players there, Zach Levine, Laurie Markkinen. Um, I don't know much at all about Patrick Williams, he, uh, the number four pick for the Bulls. Um, he was, I know he was the ACC six man, so he didn't even yeah. start in college last year. But now here he is, potentially could be in the, the top five or six on, on the Bulls. What, 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 with the new coach, with this young talent, what are you expecting from from the Chicago Bulls this season? Well, I think this is going to be an evaluation season for the new front office and coach. And that's not to say they're going to say, okay, you know, you're on a honeymoon for 72 games. No, they're, they're going to establish culture. And I know we throw that word around a lot, culture, you know, and because it was ad nauseum when watching the playoffs with Miami Heat. We've got heat culture. Okay, I get it. You know, they play hard. They work hard. They, you know. Pat Riley and Coach Spo, who I love. I, I love Eric Spolstra, and I get it. This is what's expected when you sign on with the Miami Heat. So we're not taking practices off, and we're running plays. And if you don't run the play, we're going to rerun it. We're just not going to be happy. And that's what I think they're trying to do for 29 other clubs. I'm sure they say the same thing, but I do think they need to build a culture here. Um, so I think you know, our, our team last two, three years, we've been hurt. We very seldom have had Levine on the floor, Wendell Carter Jr. on the floor, marketing on the floor. They, you know, I mean, and so they got to get healthy and they are healthy now. Hopefully that will continue into the season. I think Levine can get 25 in his sleep. I mean, he is so gifted and he really wants to be a great, great player. He was on the cusp of making the all-star team, which he did not, but he's right there. Um, 
you know, marketing, um, in my opinion, was misused last year. Uh, I think you know, he has a lot of talent, a lot of talent. And I think we're going to see Billy Donovan utilize his skill set. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr., to me, could be another Al Horford. And I think we're going to see him kind of evolve over the next year or two. Remember, he's only 21 years old. Uh, you know, Markadon's 23. Zach Levine, he's been in the league eight years. He's 20. He's going to be 26 next June. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about a very young club. Kobe White just turned 20. Um, you know, our number one pick, Dan, as you mentioned, Patrick Williams, um, he was the sixth man. Leonard Hamilton, who is a great coach at Florida State, he plays like 10 people. So he was fourth in minutes on the Florida State team. They had two players taken in the top 11. Um, Vassell, you know, or Vassell, depending on you know, how you want to you know, pronounce his last name. But um, he went 11th to San Antonio. So um, Patrick Williams, to me, for a rookie coming in this year with no summer league, and, you know, all of a sudden, hey, we're going to have a short training camp, and guess what? We're having preseason games, and guess what? Uh, we're going in rocking and rolling December 22nd. What? So it's going to be a tough year for rooks. You but know what? I, but I, I'll tell you what, I like our nucleus. I like, I like him. I think, you know, the fact that he's coming from a school with a heavy defensive presence, yes. uh, and then, you know, he's a guy... Very big wingspan and does a plays above the rim, plays around the rim, and you know, good offensive re- rebounder. I think a lot of his intangibles will translate over to the NBA game, which is sometimes is, is is tough for young guys because they come in wanting to be the scorer that they were coming from their school. So I think you know a guy like him that has a defensive mindset um, and has those characteristics, which are well, are from a head coaching standpoint. You look down the bench, you know, he's a guy that's going to get you some minutes, some rebounds, some defensive plays, and earn him some time to so that he can become, you know, a more complete player on you know offensively and defensively. But I I think he has intangibles that can help a team right now. Just the, coming from a defensive school and the fact that you know he brings those those characteristics. Yeah, I you know I mean already players are talking about him in practice that he gets after it. He's long. Very, very athletic. Uh, you know, the combo is incredible. I mean, he can he can defend. He can probably defend all five positions. To be candid with you, six eight. And but one thing that where this league is going now is that's positionless basketball. Um, you know, back when you know, if you go back to when your dad played, I mean, you probably had five inside the three point arc. Now you got five guys outside the three point arc, and you're probably saying, "Oh, we like we have a player, Luke Cornett, you know, who played ball at Vanderbilt. He's seven one seven two, and he's he's a wing. I mean, the guy he's he doesn't really post up. He takes that, you know, twenty footer, twenty three footer, whatever, and that's the way the game's going. The three meter shot, the old three meter shot." <laughs> Chad, would you say would you say I, I have had this thought before and I think I talked about it on previous episodes. Would you say Zach Levine is one of the more underrated players in the NBA? Yes. I think he has gotten his, his credibility and, and most of his notoriety from slam dunk competitions. You know, that's a general popular, yeah. popular belief about him that he's just a dunker, but I think right. he's one of the most talented guys in the league, hands down. I agree. I you know, I mean 
listen, he, he came into the league. Everyone knew how athletic he was. Went to a high school on the east side of Seattle, Bothell High. Was recruited by everyone. Um, decided to go to UCLA. And then when Ben Howland exited, you know, he got stuck playing for Steve Alford. And, um, and so he decided that wasn't his thing. And he was a very high draft pick. ACL, if you, if you do, and this is the beauty of how the medical profession and where we're at with sports, Andy, you know this, I dare, I dare say, had the technology and the craftsmanship and the knowledge of sports medicine when your dad suffered that knee injury when he came out of Syracuse that one year with Philly, yep. Yep. He, he would have played another 10 years of the league. Oh, yeah. I think he would have had 15 less knee operations, for sure. Exactly. Has, has revolutionized the game, for sure. So if you saw Zach Levine play, and let's say you we didn't know we're not in this group here, and you're John Doe fan, and you're sitting in the stands and you're saying, hey, tell me about that 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 player that you see. you And you would never know he had an ACL, ever. Yeah, I distinctly remember he came back. I think they were playing Sacramento. Maybe it was a couple games back in, and he, and he put somebody on a poster. And I was oh, thinking, yeah. he took off on his on his injured leg as well. And it's just a testament to how quickly these guys are bouncing back, and especially a guy of his athletic caliber. It's, it's really incredible. Yeah. yeah. Get out the salami and cheese. This podcast is over. Um, on behalf of all of us, uh, producer Dan Wong, Javon Shepard, the general manager of the Ottawa Blackjacks, Andy Routens, the son of your former broadcast partner, Leo. Chuck, we are absolutely grateful and thrilled that you took the time to talk to us today. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful season with the Bulls. Um, it's going to be a different NBA season. You'll be at home, which, you know, has its pros and cons, but um I know you're going to have yet another amazing season in the NBA. Thank you so much, Chuck. My pleasure. Love you guys. Thank you, Chuck. Appreciate it. Thanks, we, Chuck. We love you too. And, and a reminder to um, everyone out there listening and watching today. This was our first um, video podcast or vodcast or whatever you want to call it. Um, Jim Rats and Joints will be back next week. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We have social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Rats. Um, it's been amazing to talk to uh, our old friend Chuck Swirsky. Thank you so much for listening and watching, and we will see you again next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.